0: X ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Friday, the 2nd of October. Today, back in the day, October 2nd, 2020, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, announced he had coronavirus. After close Trump Confederate Hope Hicks was revealed to have tested positive, the president was also tested and he tweeted very early Friday morning, 1 a.m. Eastern Time. He tweeted, Tonight, lotus and i tested positive for covid 19 we'll begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately we'll get through this together mr president i wish you a speedy recovery and hope that you infect no one else today back in the day october 2nd 1187 the city of jerusalem was surrendered by crusaders to saladin jerusalem was held by the latin crusaders from 1099 to 1187 Balian of Ibelin was in charge of the Crusader state. That's the guy Orlando Bloom played in the movie Kingdom of Heaven. The surrender of the city came after months of fighting between Balian and his Crusaders and Saladin, founder of the Muslim Ayyubid dynasty. Saladin had captured numerous Crusader cities, including Jaffa, Nablus, and Beirut. And on July 4th of 1187, Saladin defeated King Guy and took Jerusalem. Balian asked Saladin to let him back into the city to retrieve his family and take them to Tyre under the condition that he swear not to take arms against Saladin. When Balian got to Jerusalem, his wife and the patriarch of Jerusalem convinced him to break his oath and try to defend the city for the sake of Christianity. Balian threatened to execute the 5,000 Muslim slaves living in the city, as well as destroy the Muslim holy sites. Eventually, a deal was reached, and Balian paid 30,000 dinars for the freedom of the Crusaders. On October 2nd, the city was handed over to Saladin peacefully, and Saladin's dynasty would control that city until the Sixth Crusade, which began in 1229. And today, back in the day, October 2nd, 1967, Thurgood Marshall was sworn in as the first black Supreme Court justice in United States history. Born in Baltimore in 1908, Thurgood Marshall learned how to debate when his father would bring him and his brother to watch court cases. He graduated from Howard University Law School in 1933 and joined the NAACP Legal Defense Division three years later. Marshall serves the NAACP chief counsel throughout the 40s and 50s. His most famous case, you've heard of it, is the landmark Brown versus Board of Education that ruled segregation, even so called separate but equal segregation, unconstitutional. Marshall served in the Court of Appeals of the Second Circuit for four years, then became the U.S. Solicitor General. Lyndon Johnson nominated him to fill Justice Tom Clark's seat, who retired in 1967. Marshall was voted in by the Senate 69 to 11. He then spent 24 years as a justice until he retired in 1991, dying two years later at the age of 84. Thank you, Thurgood Marshall. We'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we'll have an interview with the intrepid Alex Zelinsky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's quick six local rundown. The Portland Police Bureau spent nearly eight million dollars on protests in just two months, between June 1st and August 1st. The PPB spent seven million five hundred seventeen thousand two hundred seventy-six dollars. Primarily, the money was used on regular salary and overtime pay. Overtime for the past two months was $5,012,418. Regular salary, roughly $2 million. Also during those two months, about $300,000 is spent on food. Food is not typically covered for city employees. According to Alex Zelensky, reported on this story, it is hard to get approval for snacks at city meetings. The current Portland Police Association contract reads, if the safety of the officer during emergency conditions or other city-directed operational needs makes it necessary for the city to prescribe meals in areas in which officers may eat their meals, the city shall be obligated to furnish adequate meals. The breakdown includes some big orders to Red Robin, Chick-fil-A, Panera, Olive Garden, and Baja Fresh. I went to Italy, by the way. I couldn't find an Olive Garden anywhere. Police Bureau spent another $80,000 on impact musicians, Musicians? No, not impact musicians. The police department spent no money on impact musicians that we know of. They did spend an additional $83,000 on impact munitions, including over $5,000 on CS gas. To be clear, I have no idea if that's a good price for CS gas. I don't have a CS gas guy. There was also a $1,300 charge for the equipment used to live stream the protests so the police bureau was later sued for by the ACLU. All these expenses add up to just about 3% of the Portland Police Bureau budget, which totaled $245 million. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. On Thursday, the Oregon Health Authority reported 363 confirmed presumptive cases of COVID-19 in Oregon. And of course, the president reported one case of his own. The state's total here is now 33,862 and one new death, bringing Oregon's death toll to 560. Multnomah County reported 71 cases. That's significantly up from the 20 new cases reported yesterday. Clackamas reported 25. Washington County reported 36. That's closer to their average number. Yamhill County saw a spike, though. They reported 47 new cases, and it's not a big place compared to the six new cases they reported on Thursday. So far, we don't have information regarding that spike, but it is unwelcome news. Last week, the Oregon Department of Education suspended its test positivity metric as wildfires caused serious disruptions to that testing. Instead, schools went back to relying on case counts and relative rates. While the suspension helped some schools reopen, case counts in Umatilla remain too high. That's also true in some other counties. And another favorite bar is closed due to the pandemic. Joining a long list of bars and restaurants to permanently close, the Beach Street Parlor announced on Instagram that they are closed for good. Beach Street Parlor was a two-story home turned into a neighborhood hangout. They were known for crowding the front porch with patrons and giving local DJs, including a bunch of X-Ray DJs, a place to perform. Co-owner of that bar was an X-Ray board member and a good friend to so many of us. Thank you, Beat Street, for the parlor. The Oregon Food Bank has gone back on their plan to stop distributing federal food boxes. The latest controversy out of the Trump administration, it says the latest controversy. I think the latest controversy is that coronavirus thing. He just got it. But regardless, one of the latest controversies involves the Farmers to Families Food Box program. That program started in early May, expires the end of the month, provides additional food to families in need through partnerships with regional farms. In Oregon, it's invested $27 million of USDA funds. The Oregon Food Bank is responsible distributing those food boxes. But last Friday, their CEO, Susanna Morgan, announced they would end their participation in the program. Morgan provided a number of reasons for the decision, such as a sudden requirement to distribute prepackaged boxes of frozen food, which not all centers and recipients can actually store. They don't all have the freezer space. Morgan also referenced the Trump administration requirement that all boxes contain a letter from President Trump in which he claims credit for providing the additional food. The Oregon Food Bank is one of the many organizations that are hesitant to distribute these letters, as they could be a violation of the Hatch Act. That 1930 Act, by the way, prohibits civil service workers from engaging in political activities. In her statement, Morgan said there are real questions as to whether food assistance organizations can ethically distribute such a message. The Trump administration has been accused numerous times of violating the Hatch Act, but so far none of those accusations have stuck. However, the Oregon Food Bank announced yesterday they would, in fact, participate in the final phase of the program. In her new statement, Morgan said they were able to develop a plan with their distribution partners, maybe about that freezer space, which will allow them to continue sending out the extra food boxes. She made no mention of the Trump letters. It's so unclear if those messages will still be making their way to recipients. Morgan also said that programs like Farmers to Families are not enough to undo, and I am quoting, four years of eligibility restrictions and repeated cuts to vital federal food assistance programs. Some more news about Portland Ted Wheeler granting himself a loan of $150,000 for his re-election campaign. In 2018, voters approved a strict voter financing measure that limits the amount a candidate can give themselves at $5,000. The measure also includes a cap on individual donations at $500. According to recent campaign finance records, the mayor's campaign accounts would currently be sitting at just $19,000 without the $150,000 loan, which means he wouldn't have money to get on television and do ads in the final weeks. Mayor Wheeler's opponent, Sarah Iannarone, responded to the transaction by saying, Wheeler's loan to his own campaign is a blatant violation of the city charter and election laws that over 87% of Portlanders voted to adopt. He's trying to buy this election with his inheritance. In April, though, the city auditor's office told candidates they would not be enforcing the new measure and would only penalize violations if authorized by the court. This is the same auditor, by the way, that came out against the police accountability review measure that's in front of voters, Mayor Wheeler's campaign at earlier stay, the mayor decided early on he wouldn't be using the city's campaign financing program, which uses taxpayer money. Ayanarone has used that financing program, which means small individual donations are matched six to one by the city. And she has outraised the mayor with total contributions standing at six hundred and seventeen thousand dollars. She can afford ads in the final weeks. She can afford TV ads and social media ads and other stuff in the final weeks. By the way, this is by no means official. Talking to one lawyer recently of the various elements of that campaign finance limitation measure, the limitation on contributing to one's own campaign might be one of the hardest for the court to sustain. That means it might be fully legal for the mayor to loan himself that money. Pacific Power is facing class action lawsuits for fires started by downed power lines. According to the suit, despite many warnings, Pacific Power left lines across the state energized during the windstorm that occurred over Labor Day weekend. As the winds picked up, many lines fell over, sparking several trees, bushes, and grass. Yes, several bushes and several grass. Nobody says several grass, but I just said several grass. The suit alleges, and here's the quote Defendants' energized power lines ignited massive, deadly, and destructive fires that raced down the canyons, igniting and destroying homes, businesses, and schools. These fires burned over hundreds of thousands of acres, destroyed thousands of structures, killed people, and upended countless lives. Pacific Corp., Pacific Power's parent company, declined to comment. The Labor Day weekend windstorm resulted in over 1 million acres burnt during Oregon's 2020 wildfire season. Meanwhile, Facebook posts were blaming Antifa. Portland General Electric shut off power to some regions, including in residential areas near Mount Hood, in preparation for those winds. And some good news. Seaside Beach has been declared safe after a health advisory warned visitors not to go into the water. There may be room for one more beach trip before the rains start up, and now Seaside is safe for swimming again. On September 30th, the Health Authority issued an advisory for Seaside beaches after water showed high levels of bacteria from fecal matter, Gross. On October 1st, the advisory was lifted. Yay, not gross. Officials are still warning visitors against wading in small pools. Gross. Of course, the Oregon Health Authority does recommend social distancing in all public areas, including outdoors. And stay back from the poopy. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown X-Ray.
1: Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury, joins us to discuss the cost of local protests. Here are Alex Zelinsky and Jefferson Smith.
0: Thank you so much, Alex, for all the work that you do. Congratulations again on your X-Ray Award. It it, it is, of course, a very august award. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing well.
0: You have been recently writing about the money the city is spending to quell the racial justice protest. Tell us more about it.
1: Yeah. uh, I recently got a um, much-awaited record request back from the city of Portland that broke down all of the Um, line-by-line kind of all the uh, expenses that Portland Police Bureau has put towards uh, responding to the uh, last four months of of protests in Portland. Um, I I just saw kind of a snapshot of two months, Um, but that kind of, and it's from June to August, so kind of right in the beginning and and got to the, and uh, you know, that Painted a really interesting picture about kind of where a lot of the money is going, um, especially since this has a significant chunk. Uh, in in the course of two months, there was, I guess, let's see, what was it? Nearly eight million on uh, spent from city dollars just on protest response alone. Uh, that includes, you know, the salaries, the overtime costs, the benefits that um, that go towards officers assigned to work at those protests. It wasn't just uh, you know, uh, all of the munitions and kind of the fencing and everything, uh, the majority of that 8 million went towards, actually went towards overtime pay, about 5 million of it in the course of two months, Uh, which isn't necessarily surprising. Um, What was more interesting, at least to me, was kind of where the rest of the money was going. Um, And, you know, maybe this isn't, uh, it doesn't seem too shocking to folks, but I was, taken aback by the 300,000 that the police bureau spent on food and drinks for officers assigned to to protest duty. Um, And that wasn't just, you know, like standard uh, standard meals. I mean, there's a lot of takeout from from Chick-fil-A, from Olive Garden, from Panera. And also there there was one for a Sorry, now I can't think of the, the place. A couple of like local, really really nice local restaurants. Um, that you know, when you're thinking about how is the city of Portland spending, like where are they putting dollars towards to just feed officers at work, you wouldn't think it would be kind of high. From your
0: story, and I was just gonna say it like as if I knew it, but that would be cheating because yeah. the reason I know it is because I'm copying off your homework. But Red, I, what I read here is Red Robin, Chick Fil A, Panera Bread, Olive Garden, and Baja Fresh. Also, $27.98 purchase of Donut Land. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and a number of different, um, you know, uh, I, I didn't include this in the, my story, but there was also specifically a line item of $19 and I think 20 cents towards what was described as protest LaCroix. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was very detailed and very interesting. Um, for me, as someone who goes to a lot of city meetings and, and uh, public events and you know committee meetings and kind of places that sometimes are catered by the city. I was surprised because usually it's pretty slim pickings at those at those when it comes to like feeding the public and the city's paying for that. Um, and so I looked into kind of where, it, you know, where the the city's okayed uh, the ability to spend so much money on food and and it's like everything kind of baked into the um, police bureau's contract with. Uh, the Police uh, unions contract with the city, uh, where in, in specifics it requires, you know, if, if an officer's safety could be threatened if they were, you know, tasked with leaving where they were working to, to get food and get meals on their own, then the city has to foot the the bill, basically. And so in these instances, I guess, uh, according to the to the contract, when police were working at protests, it would be or it's considered too dangerous for them to leave and and go grab their own food. So it's on the city to to pay for their food, and it doesn't seem like they have a very limited budget. Um, And, you know, another interesting category of where this money is going, of course, is towards uh, munitions and other kind of weapons used against protesters. Um, In just a two-month window, uh, the Bureau spent $83,000 on uh, different, you know, so-called less 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 lethal munitions uh, like pepper balls and rubber bullets and uh, flashbang grenades and tear gas uh, and a lot of the um, the the tools that are used to shoot those off into the crowd. Uh, a lot of money also went towards fencing, very expensive fencing to to protect the federal building and protect um, the different precincts from uh,
0: protesters. And, and what's the what are the police protesting? saying about this? Presumably, I mean, in the past sort of the move is to say uh, having to deal with this is why we can't deal with other things. You have complaints about 911 response times. You have cl- complaints about what's happening with crime or the ability to solve crime where you should really be focusing your uh, anger or frustration is that the protest that this is causing and costing that money. What has been the response of the police or what do we know about that?
1: The response of the police to why they're spending this
0: much money? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think you you said it yourself. I mean, that the police are kind of putting the blame on the city, saying or on the the public, saying, you know, we wouldn't have to spend this much money if it wasn't for you guys, uh, you know, causing a, a you know causing nightly riots and and drawing us out to protect our our buildings and to secure public safety. I mean, it's a it's a constant. Um, kind of tug of war between uh, the public who's out there kind of demanding for better public safety and what changing kind of what that looks like. And then um, the police officers who say, Hey, what we're doing is that, and we have to put money, we have to put your money towards it uh, to pay for our meals, to put, to pay for these, you know, uh, for the tear gas we're, we're throwing at you. uh, And it's for the better of the community. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a, it's
0: a tricky conversation and argument to get into. I was he, I was had a conversation yesterday. I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine, is related to the protests. Who, and he's a, a successful business guy. It surprised me. It surprised me coming out of his mouth. He lives in a neighborhood where. I can imagine lots of the conversations are, oh, geez, I don't want to go downtown because it looks so yucky now. What a, what a bummer thing. And he, in fact, was reflecting a conversation he had with a friend of his who had that view. And he says, Jeff, this is great for Portland. I was surprised to hear that. And I, this was, I teased this earlier. I said I would offer this, and I need to offer it before the show, so I'm less of a liar. And, and, he said, uh, and he said, this is great for Portland because the president comes out and says, you know, Portland has all these protests. Well, the people who are moving here or you're moving here because they want to be here. And they're going to come here because they think the city stands for something. And we're going to attract all sorts of really creative, just a diverse array of people who care about democracy, who care about their communities, who want the world to be better. And they're going to end up doing all kinds of creative stuff. And yeah, it's going to be disruptive. It's going to change things, but it's going to be really good for the city. And hmm. yeah, that was a really interesting perspective.
1: Yeah. that's. Uh, I have not heard a lot of people sharing those same perspectives. Right. It seems a lot more polarized right now.
0: Yeah, that's it, it. And 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 the point that I made, and I went on, and I won't pile on further because I want to make sure that we cover anything else. You, you would want to make sure we cover. My response was essentially, yeah, because ultimately, it is, yeah, buildings are boarded up, but it is not the buildings that build the people. It is the people that we attract that build the buildings. So ultimately, cities, what makes cities great is having great people the ability to attract them, the ability to hold, the ability to nurture them. That's what makes cities great. Anything else on this story? we got another minute if there's something else you want to make sure we cover.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I spent a lot of time on your show talking about the protests and the police. I think it's good to mention right now, um, uh, to dive into for at least a second, uh, the looming homelessness and housing crisis that we're careening towards because of this economic uh, downturn that we're really just on the edge of. Um, The uh, governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, this week announced that the the eviction moratorium that's been on residential um, renters and and, uh, tenants has been extended until December 31st. Um, That originally was put into place, I'm going to say, March 22nd. Uh, and it's been re-upped a few times, once by the legislature itself, uh, and so now we're at a point where it's almost been. I mean, when we get to the end of the year, it'll almost be a year that that some people probably have been not maybe deferring their rent entirely, but paying less. And while it's a great short-term solution for a lot of tenants, and you know, hearing that news this week was a was a came as a relief. Um, it is, you know, it's really unavoidable to see that as anything but kicking the can kind of farther down the road right now. Um, obviously, you know, it's a it's a it's a great bandaid, but the, the state and, and the governor is really calling on the state legislature to put together some kind of solution to make it uh, feasible for people who haven't been able to pay rent to eventually pay back all of the, uh, you know, unpaid rent when that is due, which for now it's due. Um, you know, in, in, I think, I believe it's the beginning of April. Uh, And for people who haven't paid for almost a year, maybe, it it seems pretty incredible to try to guess that they have been saving up that amount of money if they can't even afford, you know, a monthly rent check. And so um, we're, everyone's kind of, every renter at least, and and folks who, you know, uh, own homes and rent them out are really, waiting for some kind of solution yeah but state. for
0: another federal stimulus package we are <laughs> yeah. we are heading towards the cliff alex thank, <laughs> thank you, so, you much. so much thanks to alex for joining the local big thanks to production and big thanks for the production team executive editor extraordinaire will romey supporting editors and writers miranda selinger jonathan covington bram kate k sophie malin brian miller julia oppenheimer welcome back julia carly quadros jaleesa ringering and sam Smargiassi big honor and ups to co-executive producer and X-Ray Award winner Emily Gilliland. I'm Jefferson Smith. Please send story ideas and suggestions to the local at x-ray.fm. Feel free to post compliments and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform. And gratitude for a and gratitude for original journalism research by The Lend Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID-19.HealthData.org, The Oregon Historical Society, Portland Business Journal, KJW, Willamette Week, COIN, Pamplin Media, OPB, KTU, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal, Street Roots, and our news partner, The Portland Mercury. Thanks for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing, and thank you, democracy. Talk to you Monday.